When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Shopify presents cool sheets from aha to lying awake while you bake isn't cool. I suffered from the wrong kind of hot in bed, heat-induced insomnia. That was my aha moment. Bed sheets that keep you cool. Then I thought, how do I even sell bed sheets? That's when I had the idea that made it all possible. Signing up on Shopify. With the help of Shopify's intuitive online store creator, I started selling sustainable bamboo sheets that keep cool year-round. And my cool idea became a reality. Hot sleepers around the world rejoice. Shopify makes it simple to keep your cool while starting and growing your business. Start selling with Shopify today and join the commerce platform powering millions of businesses worldwide. From aha to anything is possible. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22 shopify.com slash free 22. What up everybody? This is Rob Brandt. And this is Rick Brandt. And we are the brothers Brandt. And we had an awesome episode last week with uh, coach Rob Mendez, the 2019 Jimmy V award winner for perseverance SB award. And now we have Buffy Philippel. On. Am I pronouncing that right, Buffy? You bet. Oh, nice. <laughs> Way to go, Rob. Right out of the gate. Awesome. Awesome. We are very excited to have Buffy on episode 17 of the Brothers Brandt podcast. And I'm going to turn it over to Rick. Why don't you introduce Buffy and let the listeners, listeners know who she is? Absolutely. So we are super honored to have Buffy on today. Buffy has impacted hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of individuals in the sports and entertainment industries. Years ago, over 30 years ago, she founded a company called Teamwork. And Teamwork Online and Consulting, they've paired many hundreds of thousands of applicants with, hire, with hirees, employers. And uh, I know myself, I've been uh, the beneficiary of it. And we are super excited to have you on here today, Buffy, to talk about what you've done and what you've created and such a lasting impression on the industry. Welcome Thank to, you. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, you guys. Awesome. Well, I'm going to dive right into it. Uh, you know, you went to the University of Indiana 
And I, I you know, I, I was reading online and you were a star tennis player. Is that correct? Well, I'm not sure that I was really a star tennis player, guys. Uh, as the story goes, I was a walk-on player at Indiana University. And uh, coach says I was nice because um, I, I, I was nice when I lost. So good qualifications to get yourself onto a tennis team in the 1970s. <laughs> um, and um, ended up playing like eighth, eighth uh, singles. And I, I started at probably 12th singles and then moved up to eighth and uh, played, uh, played third doubles with a, a couple of great gals and was fortunate enough to be at Indiana when um, the USTA had offered two players the chance to be able to go to the USTA National Collegiate Tennis Championships. Um, wow. And you would, you'd expect that everybody on the team would raise her hand to go the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth player or seventh player at the time all said that they were busy and they didn't want to go. <laughs> um, I'm not too sure that they would have made that decision today, but they made it then. And um, so I raised my hand and said, I'll represent Indiana University. And I, I drove up to Kalamazoo College with my two tennis rackets, my one pair of sneakers, and my Indiana University tennis dress. And um, I roomed with the number one seed because she was from Indiana. Um, and uh, she was playing on center court at noon, and I was playing at 9 o'clock in the morning indoors. Um, oh I, walked, I, I ended up drawing the 13th seed, Candy Reynolds who went on to become a pro player after the tournament. Um, and she ended up, um, um, I think, reaching the top 50 in the world and won the French Open doubles. Wow. Uh, wow. Candy, Candy and I took the court at 12 o'clock. And as I recall it, we, we left the court at 12.15, and that included five minutes of warm-up. <laughs> all started at Kalamazoo, Michigan, right there. That's where she Kalamazoo, got started. Kalamazoo, Michigan, you bet. <laughs> and um, I love tennis. I really love tennis to this day. So my claim to fame is I played the National Collegiate Tennis Championships, USTA National Collegiate Tennis Championships. But uh, clearly I wasn't a star. Buffy, what's uh, your favorite kind of court to play on? Um, I actually like grass. There isn't an awful lot of grass courts, um, but I, I like that chip and charge kind of game. So I'm a, I'm, a, and there are not that many grass courts around and they're clearly not around, uh, not around Cleveland, but, um, that's one of my favorites. Have you ever been over to the grass court over in, uh, Europe, Wimbledon? I ended up uh, working over there for Wilson Sporting Goods. And, um, you know, almost everybody would turn their backyards into grass courts over there. So um, it, it's amazingly fun, yes. That's awesome. Wow, what, a, what an epic uh, career and, you know, uh, in, the, in the tennis world in college. And I want to bring it back to uh, University of Indiana. What was it like going to school there with, uh, you know, the basketball program the way it was? in the 70s with legendary coach Bob Knight? 
Bob Knight was amazing. Um, Indiana gave away, you, as a student, you could get tickets, you know, to go to the game. However, you only got a limited number of tickets and they ended up moving you around from seat to seat. So you would never have them in the same place. The place was packed. Um, an absolutely amazing coach. A couple of the players were in some classes with me and, you know, incredibly tall guys. Um, and um, I, it was a very, very exciting time. The other thing that was sort of interesting is another player, woman's player was there at the time, Tara Vanderveer, who has become Stanford's coach and she is still Stanford's coach. And she was a player there at Indiana on the women's basketball team when I was on the tennis team. That's so cool. They had just built Assembly Hall back in the early 70s. I mean, to this day, that's where they play. And you guys were there right when uh, it opened up, right? Right, right when it opened up. It was, it was great. I even think I saw an Elton John concert there. I mean, it was, it was fabulous, uh, a fabulous time to be at Indiana. Awesome. Love it. And going back to um, after graduating uh, and, you know, the late 80s and early 90s when you were getting teamwork online off the ground, talk about those experiences, the challenges, the successes and everything that went into launching your enterprise. So I think the um, kind of the important part of how a career progresses when I was certainly going to college, I had no idea what the Internet was. None of us did. <laughs> Um, had no idea what executive search really was. I was a physical education major. There wasn't anything called sport management. Um, and, um, and, and how did you ever even get in, you know, get into the sports business? I was using Wilson tennis rackets at the time. Um, I was using my Billie Jean King tennis racket. And I thought for sure that, you know, because Billie Jean was using it, I could become a great player like herself. Um, I had uh, applied to a bunch of jobs out of college and then ended up um, getting, getting a uh, connection into Wilson Sporting Goods because I worked at a tennis club um, in Chicago and landed a job after, after being turned down, landed a job in the promotions department, giving away tennis rackets to top players. What a job. <laughs> And of course, one of the reasons I got the job was because I had played in the National Collegiate Tennis Championships. <laughs> um, yeah, super qualified. So I uh, got the job working with um, our grassroots promotions program. And the players at that time included Tracy Austin and John McEnroe. This wow. was probably a terrific time for American tennis. Um, Pam Shriver was also a player. She was not a Wilson player, but she was playing at that time. All three of them now are broadcasters, as you know. Um, and they were these young junior tennis players. And I would go around and meet up with their parents and give them string and give them rackets and give them sneakers or whatever they needed. So I got to know the players really well. And mm. although I, you know, I myself was not that great of a player, um, I really began to study what does it take to become a great athlete. Uh, I was lucky to then uh, have a chance to work with, with uh, IMG on a program where we were studying the television ramifications of Wilson sponsorships on a 
tennis program. And what was the value of Wilson name on this world couples championship television program that TWI was running? And many of those TWI guys at IMG have become presidents of all these television stations, by the way. Mm. Um, so I, I went to IMG and I was running through this, this uh, video to try to time the number of seconds there were um, uh, on how much Wilson exposure got. And I got a different number from what they got, but mine was more accurate because I had, you know, had my little stopwatch there. <laughs> so they got to know me a little bit. I got to know them and said, boy, this would be kind of neat to work here in, um, in Cleveland. But I ended up moving to, with uh, Wilson overseas to London. Uh, I was there at Wimbledon. It was great. Uh, strawberries and cream. <laughs> and, um, and got to know them rather well. And they offered me a position to come back to Cleveland to be able to become the first woman agent at IMG. Mm, wow. That's and, uh, and it was a lot because of those Wilson relationships that I knew all these players from Wilson. So um, knowing, knowing those players got me this role into IMG. Worked at IMG representing some athletes and then running events. And then um, uh, I, I um, ended up getting married and my husband and I moved from Cleveland over to Italy in 1983 and we moved back in 1984. Just a so, short stint. Short stint. It was a year overseas and um, and we came back and it was 1984 Olympics. I didn't have a job. I could go back to IMG but I didn't think I wanted to really do that because that didn't seem to be the right place. So how do people find sports jobs? I mean, you, at that point in time, you had to look in the newspaper for ads. Um, and, but I knew that Ohio University was a really big deal. That was a, a potential. I was thinking of going there. And how was I going to get a job? Well, if Ohio University was going to start this sport management program, there were a couple of other schools that are starting this. Gee, what are you going to do with all those people who had these jobs, who graduated with this degree, and how do I get a job? And so I, I, I thought, if I'm the one going through this, I'm sure there's a number of other people going to go through this. How do I figure out, how do you put people in jobs in a business? My, a friend of mine from high school, his dad was an executive search consultant with uh, Russell Reynolds, who was the president of them. A executive search firm in Chicago, and I called him and said, how do people do executive recruit? What is executive recruiting? And is anybody doing that in sports? And he said, uh, Corn Ferry just did the search for Peter Uberoth for the head of the Los Angeles Olympics. Maybe they'll start a big search, sports search recruiting business. Oh, you're kidding. Okay. So I joined Corn Ferry and learned how to do executive search. For about a couple of years, my father passed away, and I, I um, left Corn Ferry and ended up, um, ended up being at home. And lo and behold, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association contacted me and said, hey, uh, we're looking for somebody to, to uh, uh, help us do recruiting. So teamwork consulting got started with the Minnesota Timberwolves and 
and um, uh, and um, and the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association. And then 11 years later, I've been doing this a lot. 11 years later, we get into the dot-com era. Um, and it's 2000. I was working with the Houston Texans. They said, we need to recruit an entire front office staff. <laughs> okay, let's do it online. Well, what does online mean? I said, I think there's this little thing called the internet. And I think we can end up uh, getting some getting some people to respond. In, in 2000, young college kids were making $150,000. Wow, that's unbelievable. When they graduated from college. And um, anyway, so we tried to figure out a way to get them for a little bit less and, um, and ended up recruiting um, online a number of people to start as, um, uh, to work in their selling of their suites. In their um, in, in this virtual you know suite sales office, and from there we ended up growing the entire staff. I think one of the people that I recruited first off off of that list is still there at the Texans today. Oh my gosh, wow. that was Rainey. that yeah. was probably around the time that they were just like becoming a franchise, right? Around that early two thousands. Yes, they were called the Houston Thirty Two or NFL 2002. <laughs> I still have some hats from that. Yeah. <laughs> we love the swag. Uh, part of uh, the fun thing we do on our road trips, Buffy, is we, prior to going the trips, we go on Amazon and eBay and buy home team apparel. So every place we go, we're rocking like Cincinnati Reds gear, <laughs> Pittsburgh Pirates. We're actually moving right now and we were going through all the boxes of all the swag that we have, and it's just unbelievable. <laughs> I, I don't think we have any of those uh, 32, the NFL 32 Texan stuff, though. Yeah, that sounds don't. pretty good. We don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I only have one, so I'm I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna let that thing go. No, no, that's that's a high ticket item. So, <laughs> what up, everybody? Sorry to interrupt the regular programming right here, but Rick and I have to pay the bills, so we're going to run an ad. This ad is brought to you by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Enjoy the show, guys. So you get so you get teamwork off the ground. You're utilizing the tech boom and the World Wide Web. And what are some challenges and maybe some obstacles there, just the, the entry of this industry? Well, um, I think some of the beginning part was people, the people were applying for jobs in a variety of ways. You could send a letter, you could uh, meet somebody, you could, so you, you could be referred um, and, and, and or somebody's going to be an internal candidate or a friend of somebody, right? There were a number of ways people were getting into the, into the business. So why would they go online if I can get somebody doing all of these things? So that was an interesting challenge of how to change a behavior 
to have people go online? Nowadays, Buffy, I mean, it's so common. You think of the other forms and uh, websites out there where people just apply. And now it's almost second nature to apply online. But you're right. Back then, maybe 20 years ago in the early 2000s, you were trying to essentially create a mindset. Right. Create a way for somebody to be able to get a job. I think one of the uh, good things about this is that we made these jobs much more public because most of the organizations didn't want to share that they had an opening. So we made them very, because they were afraid that season ticket holders would apply for the job. And if they would have to tell their season ticket holder no, would it hurt their revenue stream? So we made the application much more complicated <laughs> so that if you had to go through this whole thing, you would probably bail if you weren't really interested in it. So there was that, that uh, the challenge there. So the challenge of getting that out and pricing, what's it priced at? Uh, what's the value of that? And, um, and then, a couple of the technical things we had was that each of the databases were separated. And in 2000, we ended up actually merging those databases behind the curtain all together so that a candidate had one record throughout the whole system. Most applicant tracking systems only have a dead end. So if you apply into another applicant tracking system, you don't usually go back and update your information. That's what helped um, LinkedIn. Well, monster.com was the big thing at that time. Um, LinkedIn came in a little bit later. It was a very surprise thing that you would want to put your resume public. How do you do that? And then keep it up to date. And, but they weren't really into the resume stuff. They were into mirroring more Facebook so you could have conversations at the water cooler. And then they turned into becoming more of a job board than, um, and, and this networking. Buffy, talk a little bit about the MVP program that you guys offer. So, um, what was happening is people would be calling me, Rob, um, a lot about, can you help me on my profile information? Can you help me on, on um, uh, what job should I apply for? Um, do you know somebody that you could introduce me to? What are employers looking for? All of those sorts of things. Well, it became, <laughs> as you can imagine, it, it became quite a lot of my work to be able just to help everybody. And so we turned this in about 2014, we turned this into, is there a way that I could give it to everybody on a digital platform? LinkedIn had a premium program. There was a ladders premium program. Um, there were a number of other premium systems. Actually, airlines had premium <laughs> programs. So all of those started to become popular that you could get a little extra help. You could buy a ticket to a golf tournament and stand right behind, you know, right, uh, um, right next to the, next to the golfers. So um, we thought that we would then present a way in which we could give insider information to people 
really help them much, much more in their careers. And so we started an MVP access program. Uh, technically, the things that we could do was we could send an email or we could have a way in which we could communicate weekly to the candidates about a number of things that, that, that could make their applications better. That is still an issue out there that people don't really present their skills well to be able to apply for the jobs they appear to want um, or that the jobs that they want don't seem to match what they have skill set wise. It still is a challenge and we try to keep, keep candidates up to date on that. Next, of course, we can then put the record on um, at the top because many of these employers are using our applicant tracking system to be able to sort through their candidates. And then finally, they can see when their application was had an action taken on it. And those seem to be the things that people want to know. They want to know that it doesn't go into some black hole. And I can certainly attest to all of our employers. Our employers, for the most part, read through almost everybody's application. There's not some sort of computer thing that sorts through something or other and then they show these four people um well, they really do care buffy i'm a huge believer of the product you know i have uh, reaped the benefits of all of your guys's hard work i appreciate it i know there are hundreds of thousands of people like myself out there that really appreciate all the work that you guys have put into teamwork and you know if you could real quickly maybe give a nugget to uh, the different levels of employment. And what I mean by that is, you know, you've got your entry level right out of college, you know, professional that wants to enter into the sports and entertainment industry. Then maybe you've got the mid-level trying to advance to an executive type position. And then maybe somebody a little bit higher along the chain. Maybe could you talk a little bit about each little phase of, the, of somebody's career in the sports world? Sure, and I think um, what's terrific about teamwork online is that you could actually see your career progression. You can start wherever you start, wherever you are on your career, and you could say, I'd like to follow this path, and you can actually see every single job that could take you to that path. Um, and, and that's an incredible help to anybody that's getting in. There isn't really another system quite like us in any other uh, any other industry. But yes, we've got um, jobs are posted across part-time, um, internships, entry level, middle, which would be the first or second move you might make in the industry. Um, what we'll call director is actually a little more in the high five-figure range. They may not have that title director. You could sometimes have the title manager, but that's going to be a little bit more about uh, five to seven years of your career. And then anything above that, we call that into the VP range, the $100,000 range. I would say that um, what's, what's fascinating is over the last two years, two or three years, there have been more positions posted at that middle tier than there had been in the past. And, and that might've been a much more, it's, getting to be a much more popular compensation range. So we're actually seeing some movement in the organizations to hire up a little bit more. Um, more popular, obviously, are internships and entry levels, but now we're seeing a little bit more of the jobs posted into that next level. So they're moving their, their compensations up along the, uh, along the line there. Fascinating, wow, okay. 
Yeah, no, you're totally right. I've seen it myself. I know many people out there, you can see that progression on teamwork. It's really a wonderful asset. Also, too, real quick, Buffy, maybe, uh, you know, we're here during quarantine, unfortunately. There's a lot of things that are kind of up in the air in the sports and entertainment industry. What are some maybe top three things that you could recommend to people out there at this point in their career in the sports industry? Things are on hold, but how can they continue to advance and maybe develop professionally in this holding pattern? Well, breaking down that question a little bit, the first thing, one of the things that popped out is advance. Here's an interesting thing is that there are a number of online programs out there that uh, educational programs, I've, we, we really are working so hard that we don't have, oftentimes have the time to take a class. And now we might, since, since a number of games are suspended, we might have a chance to be able to take these online classes um, a, a fellow had said that oftentimes these online classes might offer them for free for seven days because they're assuming it's going to take you a long time to go through. And he ended up getting the entire class all done in seven days that normally <laughs> might have taken several months um, if you were working at all. So, uh, but there are a number of those that are out there that are popular. There are um, online um, video programs or online virtual career fairs or virtual uh, uh, events that we're doing. We're doing, we're doing some, uh, we're promoting a few. Uh, I would say that, that now is the time to really make sure that your online presence is very consistent and that you're, you're um, using words and really taking a look, does my record, does that my record really do justice to what I've really done? Or am I so vague that nobody knows what I've done? And, and there are, LinkedIn certainly is very public. A teamwork profile is much more private. And of course, a resume can be very private unless you put that on your LinkedIn profile. Um, so depending upon the pub, the publicness of the, of the information is what you should be careful about. Make sure all of those things are correct. Make sure they all are, all are the same. Um, and then I would say networking with alumni is a really good way to get your information across, to be able to talk to them, ask them about jobs that you're seeing online and whether they can introduce you to somebody. Talk to your contacts and tell them the new things that you've learned. Most of the time, our friends know us from the last time we've, we've worked with them. It's like we can all remember our third grade teacher and you could just see her, you know, in your mind. But that third grade teacher does not look like, I can assure you that third grade teacher doesn't look like that anymore and has probably done a lot more things than taught third grade but we all box people together and we say, this is what they do and, um, and this is what they know. So you need to be able to share a lot more of the things that you've learned. So one of the ways I've suggested you do that, thank you notes. Thank you, thank you for, this is being grateful. And during a time of stress and kind of unknown, settling yourself in, in sending out a couple of grateful thank you notes can not only make you feel so much better,
but make the person on the other recipient side feel so much better. Wow, that's really insightful. Those are really great tips, Buffy. Thanks for sharing all that with our listeners. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that were taking notes while you were uh, sharing those tips. <laughs> Rob, I know you want to get Buffy out of here on a fun one. Maybe uh, ask her, uh, I know the question that we both wanted to ask. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, Buffy, who's been the most memorable hiring personnel you've had the pleasure of working with in your career? Um, the most memorable hiring person was one of my earliest uh, executives that I've, I recruited, and that's Tim Liewicki, who's the CEO of Oakview Group. I don't know whether there is anyone who will ever replicate what he has done in the sports business. Tim has been responsible for building, marketing, uh, creating three major venues, Target Center, um, the Pepsi Center, and the Staples Center. Wow. And wow. he not only got them built, he got them funded, he got them to be going on and on and on and on and on. Uh, he was the first to set the naming rights with the Target Center. What is the naming rights value of an arena? Um, he is by far probably one of the most influential people that has been in the sports business of somebody clearly that I recruited um, and an amazing personality. Many, many people worked for him who went on to become presidents. You had Len Komorowski as one um, uh, and uh, there, there, uh, and, and Sean Hunter was another um, senior level executives, Brenda Tennant and still with AEG. He's just got an enormous number of people that have worked for him who have been leaders in the business. And I just am honored that I was, I, I was in his sphere. I was in his world. Um, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to have known him. And he's now leading all this NHL. He actually was one of the first people I saw that was caring a lot about creating a business around cleaning the facilities. Mm. Um, so Tim Liewicki is truly, truly a pioneer and someone that everybody needs to be thankful for, grateful for, and uh, appreciate his enormous contribution he's made to the sports business. We're going to have to make sure Tim gets a chance to listen to the podcast and hears all those wonderful words. That's so wonderful of you to share, Buffy. Thank you for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to be with us on the podcast. And for those of you out there interested in learning more about teamwork, Buffy, where do you recommend those folks go? All right. It's uh, www.teamworkonline.com. And I'm Buffy Philippel. All right, awesome. Buffy. Well, again, thank you so much for everyone out there. My name is Rick Brandt. And I'm Rob Brandt, and we're the Brothers Brandt. Thanks for listening. Thank you everybody. so much, Rob and Rick. I really, really appreciate being on your show. Uh, it was a blast. We had